Uh, Prone to Wander, our series, uh, not through the entire book of Judges, but uh, kind of jumping around to different spots, looking at the cycle of sin and what it means to repent. So if you have that slide, throw it up there, this, the cycle of sin that you see in the, height of the lives of the Israelites, starting with sin, right, particularly idolatry. Israel failed to complete the job. They go into this land that God has promised them and God commands them to drive out its inhabitants and all of their idolatry. And they don't do it. They drive out some of them. They, they take possession of the land, but it's a, it's a vast land and there's different people groups. And so they don't go in and drive out all of the idols and you see them time and time again being tripped up, falling into idol worship incorporating the culture around them instead of them and the gospel, them. And I can say the gospel in the Old Testament. Some of us only think of the gospel as, you know, the New Testament and all that stuff. It's all through it. The entire book is about Jesus, right? And not taking that in the precepts of God and, and infiltrating the culture, influencing the culture. They take the worldly, sinful, idolatrous culture and they incorporated, so in our intro video, you see that they, they were looking just like the Canaanites. They were looking just like the people groups around them um, because they fell into the sin of idolatry. Well, then, whoever it might be, the, the Amalekites, the Midianites, the, they, they end up oppressing them. They take possession of them. They, they oppress them. And for many times this year, as you're going to read today about the Midianites, for seven years they were oppressed by him. Last week, I believe we read the Ammonites. It was 18 years. And so oppressed Finally, they get to a point where they're crying out to God. God help us. God save us. And God, who is rich in mercy, he does it. He raises up a deliverer. Number four there, deliverance coming through a judge. Talked about how these are very imperfect people. But God uses them because God is faithful to his people. And then during, after that, they experience a time of peace. Usually that time of peace lasted the, as long as the judge lasted. When the judge dies... All of a sudden, they fall right back into that same cycle of sin. You see it pretty much the 12 times that you see all the judges through the book of Judges. Last week, we talked about um, repentance and the nature of repentance and how it's not merely sorrow. A lot of times, we just think of being sorry for our sin, and that's not it. That's not just it. That might be a good starting point, but the nature of repentance is deeper, it's fuller, and it ultimately leads to a change of direction. But we talked about last week how oftentimes that starts with a change of heart, right? It starts with a change of core. When you read heart in Scripture, it is, is deeper than just heart. A lot of times we think of emotion. We think of something that's far more superficial, but you talk about the core and the soul of a person, not just feelings or emotions. But um, tried to point out last week that how soul and heart are sometimes interchangeable and that the literal, the Hebrew definition of soul means the seat of your appetite. So the things you crave, the seat of your cravings, of your desires. And so when you talk about the doctrine of regeneration where the Holy Spirit of God moves in and makes you new, he takes that seat of desires and starts to transform it and make it different, make it new. Lusting, and, and not lusting, thirsting, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> thirsting after the things of God. That's why that's important to make that correction. Thirsting after the things of God, not lusting after the things of the Lord. See, it works there. Um, 
We also talked about a change of mind, okay? So a change of heart, the core of a person, the change of mind. I talked about sanctification, how transformed by the renewing of our mind in Romans, this world feeding us lies, feeding us so much information, but so much of it is not true. You have a whole culture, a whole world that values things and loves things and desires things that are antithetical, that are different, the antithesis to us as believers, people who are made new. And there's this battle for truth in our minds, and so it is so important that we fill our hearts and our minds with the truth of God's word, that he would wash over us and sanctify us by his word, as it says in Ephesians chapter 5. That we would start to see things through the lens and the filter that is his holy truth. Things that God loves, I now love. Things that God hates, namely sin, not your coworker who's annoying, okay? Things that God hates, sin, I now hate. Last week I asked you if you see your sin the same way that God does. Do you see your sin in the same light that God does? does it, is it as gross and detestable to you as it is God? When we start to view things through the lens of Scripture, through the filter of Scripture, everything changes. Your job in your secular workplace is far less mundane because there's beautiful mission in that. The people that God has placed in your life that seems accidental, the new job that you have The new job that you hold now has beautiful purpose and mission because now I'm viewing it not as just a means to money and pay the bills, but I'm looking at it for the sake of the gospel. Psalm chapter uh, 119, verse 11. I was reminded of this this week. Thinking about sin, thinking about the word of God, thinking about being transformed and sanctified. Verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Think of that like a treasure in a bank. I've stored it up. I treasure it in my heart that I might not sin against you. The power of the truth of the word keeping us in a mode of repentance, keeping us away from our sin, from craving and lusting and desiring our sin and craving the things of God. There is power by the Spirit of God in the word of God. But it's not just your sin Do you see things the way that God sees things? Has your mind been renewed and changed so that you think more like Christ thinks, where you serve in love like Christ serves and loves? We focus on God, and is it the God of the Bible? That's the the other thing. That's the other thing. A lot of times we, we have ideas about God, And there are ideas that we picked up along the way. Somewhere, some teacher, some preacher, some person, some Facebook post, some meme or whatever gave you an idea about God. But is it truly the God of the Bible? Because a lot of times I think I have ideas of God and, and maybe they're my own creation and they're not the God of the Bible that I should be wholeheartedly surrendered to. I need to focus on the God of the Bible 
to see his character and likeness. Ran into a uh, quote this week from Paul Tripp. It said, only when I focus on the holiness and the glory of God am I able to see myself accurately. Eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of my faith. Focused. Everything filtered through the lens and the power of his word. And all of a sudden now I can see myself more clearly. We see his character and his holiness, his likeness in the word. God transforms us and makes us more like him. So, change of heart, change of mind, leading to a change of direction, which is true repentance. Last week we talked about that pretty extensively. Um, This radical putting away of idols. When I say putting away, I want you to think, I don't want you to think closet or toy box, okay? My house, that is a reality right now. I've got lots of young kids, and I'm constantly saying, put away your toys, right? You put them away. Got to put them away. But they put them away in a box or a closet or somewhere where they're hidden from dad for the moment, but they come out later, right? Those toys come out later. And so when there's a putting away of idols, okay, I don't want you to think closet. I want you to think more like mafia, where you put something away, you put someone away. You know what I'm saying? When we put it to death, we take care of it once and for all. Another verse that I was reminded of this week is actually because of our, our marriage group that meets on Wednesday nights for our equip. Um, I was reminded of this. We went through Second Peter a few months ago. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power, okay, His Holy Spirit, has granted to us all things. And Pastor Tommy down at Bayview, he says, when the Bible says all, it means all. He's granted to us all things that pertain to life, And to godliness, okay? Godly living in this life. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, okay? His word of God, the word, scriptures. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, new, change of heart, change of mind, having escaped from what? The corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. We have everything we need to not fall back into that cycle of sin and to be victorious because of the Word of God and His divine power, the Holy Spirit of God, alive in us. We lack nothing to be and to do all that Christ has called us to be and do. Are we just going to stay there? Are we just going to abide there? Are we just going to settle in to the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Word of God and allow it to transform us and then to not deceive ourselves, but then to become doers of it, to get out there and to live it? How radical church would be. How radical the church of Jesus Christ would be. The church in Acts would be far more of a reality to us now if we would get this, if we would do this, if we would just simply stay there. So before we move on here, uh, I'd like to pray. We're going to look at Judges chapter 6. It was really kind of this week I was stirred um, after a chat with Pastor Joshua Dostal at our church down in Janesville and uh, some of the things that God had kind of been showing him through the book of Judges. And today we're going to look at Gideon. And 
Gideon's one, one of the well, uh, more well-known judges in the book of Judges. Uh, he was called of God by an angel of the Lord, by, um, uh, by an angel of the Lord, like, showing up. And uh, our video that we showed is kind of our pre, uh, our introduction. It was, it described him as a coward. And I think it might be an overstatement, but you see, he does need a lot of assurance. He does a lot of testing. He, like, has to, like, be reassured over and over again that it's the Lord that's actually leading him. Um, and uh, some of the more well-known stories that you remember, it, the way he tested God, I guess, would, uh, with the fleece, right? Remember the fleece? Make it, make it wet with the dew, make it dry. with like, like the one time wasn't good enough when it actually happened. He had to do it again, but this time he had to reverse it uh, to really try to you know, cross God up, but that didn't work. Um, and then when Gideon's army was too big, when he was actually called to go into battle, right, God whittled down his army for him, uh, ending with uh, 300 men. And so when he got to the actual fight, they end up with torches and jars and horns. They don't actually show up with any weapons. They just did what God told them to do. And it was the Lord's battle. He actually showed up. And so it's pretty amazing stories if you want to read through uh, the rest of Gideon's story. We're going to just touch on the beginning of it here this morning. So let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. I pray that we would humble ourselves before it. We would humble ourselves before your spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would cause there to be change, transformation, sanctification, repentance, that we might truly be your church, both within these walls and outside of these walls, for the glory of Christ Jesus alone. We ask this in that powerful name. Amen. Amen. Judges chapter 6, verse 1 says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Oh, there it is again. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. Okay, so Midian comes in and Israel hides. They find themselves in caves. They go off to the, the strongholds in the, in the mountains, and they hide out. And read this. Okay, verse 3, it says, For whatever the Israel, whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. Okay, so they're not just... Um, they're not moving in to kill them and destroy them, but they're coming in and they're wiping out all of their produce. They're depleting the land and thus their spirits. Like, could you imagine, like, you're just getting some traction? I've kind of felt this way with COVID a little bit. It's like, ah, oh, we're just getting some traction. Like, let's put, we're putting one foot in front of another again. And then all of a sudden, like, ah, oh, another, whatever it might be, another mandate or another outbreak or another, like, here's another spike in the numbers. Okay, you got to reel it back. Can't do that yet. We just got to lay low. Could you imagine being a farmer, having livestock, and you're like plants, like, the toil, like, we don't know what farming is all about. You guys might have a little garden in your yard, but could, like, the toil, and, and everything that goes into farming. And then you like have to like you leave it up to God. Like, here it is. I, 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 I plant it. I water it. I, I, I got the weeds out of there. 
God's got to make it grow. And just when it grows and all that waiting and hard work, and somebody else comes in and takes it from you. Could you imagine uh, the frustration and the despair that would overtake them? Verse 5, so for they would come up with their livestock and in their tents, and they would come like locusts in numbers. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So there it is. There's those first few steps in the cycle, right? They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, they're giving themselves over to idols again. Now they're oppressed for seven years. And they're just, their land is just being ravaged. It's just like depleted over and over again. No traction. And they're brought very low. They cry out to God. I was thinking about that this week. Like even in crying out to God, it's not the purest of motives, right? Like life stinks for them. They are oppressed and they're crying out to God, not because they realized the wickedness and the horrible nature of their sin and idolatry. They're crying out to God because we can't grow any crops because they keep stealing them on us. We can't gain any bit of traction and we're starving. We're hiding out uh, in, in, in the cliffs and in the caves because the Midianites would just come in and they're just going to take our stuff. We're going to read in a few minutes that Gideon, he's, he's um, beating out wheat in the wine press to hide from the Midianites. Because if he's probably out in the open, it's just going to be taken from him. And all of his hard work is going to be for naught. So they cry out to God. And it's not the purest of motives, not realizing their wandering, not realizing their betrayal of their God and their idolatry, not realizing their whoring. Okay, and I say that word and I know it makes us uncomfortable, especially because my kids are sitting right over here. That word is used like 70 some times throughout Scripture. And it's, um, it makes us uncomfortable because we, if, if you know what that, it, Kids, ask your parents what that word means. Because um, when you know what it means, and you know the betrayal, and you know what selling yourself means when you use that word, you see the detestable, horrific, awful nature of sin. And what it is to actually turn away and, and serve someone else. It's as gross as cheating on your spouse with multiple lovers. They cry out to God and it's not because they realize everything I just described. It's because they can't grow crops and they can't gain traction and they're starving and everything stinks and is really uncomfortable. But even in that, what a grace from God. When we face trials and we face turmoil, and now they, they, they did a lot of this to themselves, and a lot of times we do too. What a grace from God that he would 
bring us low sometimes so that we would actually turn and cry out to him, even if it's not the purest of motives. And you see over and over through the book of Judges that God still has compassion on his people. He is still faithful to his people. And what, he, what does he do? He raises up a deliverer, this time in Gideon. I think about us. When we're faced with trials, where is our cry? When we're faced with struggles and turmoil, where is our prayer? It's my prayer that in those trials, we wouldn't just feel the discomfort and cry out, but like I said, that is a beautiful grace, but that the discomfort would lead us to and bring, us about, uh, bring about a holy dissatisfaction in us. That we would be so disenfranchised, so dissatisfied with the world in all that it offers, that we would find ourselves alone at the feet of Jesus, the one who delivers us. What a grace that would be. So the Israelites were brought low so that they would turn back from their idolatry, from their adultery, from their spiritual fornication. And turn back to their God. Judges chapter 6, let's keep reading uh, verse 11. It says this, Now the angel of the Lord, this is the call of Gideon. When you read angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, a lot of scholars believe that that's a theophany, that's a Christophany, that is a pre-incarnate Jesus showing up as a messenger of the Lord to his people. Okay. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under uh, the terebinth, It's just a fancy word for a massive tree. And it's at Oprah, apparently, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Right? Because they're like locusts. They'll take it. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O man of valor. What a description. What a thing to say. If, he, if, if the angel of the Lord showed up in your living room, what's the description he would use? The Lord is with you, O oh, couch potato. <laughs> Verse 13, and Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has he allowed all this to happen? Why has all this happened to us? You guys ever prayed that prayer before? If the Lord's with me, God... Why is all this happening right now? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Is that not enough? I'm the one sending you? The Lord himself, do I not send you? Verse 15, it says, And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Ever been there and said that? How can I? How how could it be me? I'm so weak. I can't do it. Verse 16, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. Again, he needs that assurance. He needs a sign. 
just like the fleece in a, in, a, in a couple more verses, that it is you who speaks with me. Verse 18, please do not depart from here until I come and bring you my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Okay? So he leaves and he goes and he prepares a young goat. He prepares some broth and some cakes, some unleavened cakes. And he brings them back to the angel of the Lord under this massive tree. And he sets it on a rock and the angel of the Lord comes and he takes his staff and he touches the, the goat and the, and the uh, cakes and fire springs up out of this rock and consumes them. Okay? How's that for your sign? How's that for your assurance that you're speaking with the Lord? And then he gets his first task. And his first task is to do what the Israelites failed to do. To tear down the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole that sits next to it. Okay, and he does that. And let's, read, let's jump down a little bit. We'll read the aftermath, okay? Because Gideon does it. He tears it down, and here's the response. Verse 28. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, okay, this is the men of the town, probably some Israelites in there, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash, okay, this is his, Gideon's dad, said to all who stood against him, will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called uh, Jerubal. What is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Like I said, Israel failed the mission. They failed to completely drive out the inhabitants of the land and their idols. And here, Gideon gets an opportunity to do it. Gets an opportunity to do it, at least in this town. Part of our mission as believers, as Christians, as those who have been claimed by Jesus Christ is to drive out the world from within our hearts. To drive out the idols of this world that establish themselves in our hearts. And oftentimes, we are very, very casual about it. We are far too casual about our sins and the idols of this culture. And somehow, some way, we justify incorporating some of these idols into our lives. Like I said last week, the idols of our culture nowadays are, are a little sneakier than a big golden statue or a big statue in some town square. They're far more sneaky. And somehow, some way, we incorporate them into our lives. But we're called to drive them out. And maybe that's why we're ineffective as a church. Maybe that's why the church in America is rather ineffective at sharing the gospel, making disciples, actually carrying out the Great Commission. I don't mean to constantly rail on the American church, but there's a worldliness that I see in a lot of different facets. Something I pray against, something I fight against, something I'm terrified of. 
that we take these idols, we take this worldliness, we take this sin, and we incorporate it into our methods and what we do. When we're called to drive it out, to tear it down, to not justify it or contend for it, to allow the altar of Jesus Christ to be the only thing that rules my heart, that there would be offerings of worship daily in this temple that he has bought with his blood, that he is on the throne, and the idols of this world are broken down. See, like we like fools, like the men of this town, sometimes I feel like we defend our idols. We justify our idols. There's deep foolishness and darkness to contend for idols. Makes me think of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. I think that actually, if you're thinking of a a Bible timeline, I think that happens somewhere about 300 years after Gideon or so. Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right? That's like the greatest showdown ever. Who's God? Who's the real God? We're going to set up two altars. We're going to prepare a sacrifice. We're going to put it on there. And whoever's God answers by fire, that's the real God. Prophets of Baal go first. You guys know the story, right? They're dancing around. They're praying all day long. Like they're at their wit's end. They end up cutting themselves and blood pouring out because they think it's going to appease this God. Of course, you guys know the, you know the, you know the answer. There's no, there's no answer. Doesn't answer by, and, and, and Elijah starts taunting him for of all things. Like maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's relieving himself. Like, Yell louder. Elijah just steps up and he prays a prayer, simple prayer. And the God of all creation and his power and his majesty and his might, the true and only God answers. We're fools to defend any bit of sin or idolatry in our lives. Any bit of justification, that is a mute and worthless idol. And we have been called by the only one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. He's called us his kids. He's called us his children. He's called us his own. And it was a costly price of his own blood poured out to cover every sin we've ever committed. Cleansed us, made us holy, made us able to stand before him, to stand in his presence because of the work of Jesus. He made us his own and we're fools for justifying our idols in any bit of sin. We find justifications for being angry with our brothers and sisters. We find justifications for being jealous and coveting and and greedy. We find justifications for gossip and slander, for laziness and selfishness. We end up defending these things and justifying these things and, and glossing over them. And they're not so bad, but it's 
idols, it's idolatry, it's gross fornication, adultery. Don't make me say the other word. If we were to allow our sin to stand on their own fruit instead of our justifications, they would not survive. Their way is death. But we serve the true God, King Jesus. He's not mute like an idol. He's not manufactured like an idol. He's not worthless like our sin. But he is the surpassing worth, our greatest treasure. He is Savior, Redeemer, Deliverer, Judge, full of grace and full of love, full of power, full of majesty. He is not mute, and he speaks by his Holy Spirit and his Holy Word. He is not made or manufactured. He is alive and he is eternal. We're foolish for justifying or defending our idols in our sin. If we would just let them defend themselves, we would see their utter, utter worthlessness. It's my prayer this morning that we would see their worthlessness. That we would see just how empty anything this world could hand us. That we would see just how worthless any bit of hope or promise from this world outside of Jesus actually is. And then yet, that would we behold him. See, what's going to keep us from wandering into that cycle, what's going to keep us from wandering off to the idols and sinfulness, uh, sins of this culture, is when we truly behold Jesus when we truly cherish and behold the matchless worth of Christ. There's not a lot of beholding these days. We'll get some information in our head, and it's like, ooh, that was good. Like, there's a one-liner. Let's tweet that out. And it never, like, truly marinates in our soul. Like, I need the word of God and the truth of his word to, like, just kind of sit on me for a while. Like, just, like... Maybe we should do that. Thinking out loud here, sorry. In front of all of you. Maybe we just need some times where we just sit. Silence. Kevin doesn't say anything. You don't say anything. Holy Spirit maybe says some stuff. Maybe we're like bold enough and humble enough to actually say yes and respond. That would be amazing. Today, I just, as we kind of wrap up to this morning, I, I just would encourage you again to respond. Um, let's, uh, I was going to say back in the corner, but maybe we don't have enough room. Maybe let's do it up front. Uh, we'll have some of our prayer team folks up front this, this morning. If, if you'd like prayer for something, 
in your response time. I'll, I'll just say this. Okay, Nate's going to start singing in a minute. And uh, we're going to sing our last song that we normally sing and just spend some time with the Holy Spirit, spend some time in worship. Please do it differently this time. Um, don't just sing a song. If, 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 if singing the song is awesome and if it's, you know, resonating with you and whatever, then sing it. But if, if God's speaking to you right now, just sit there and respond. If it's repentance, if it's confession, if, if you need prayer for something, if you've got somebody sitting next to you and you're like, hey, can you just pray with me? And if you don't want to come up here, that's fine. Pray with people in your chairs next to you. That's great. Awesome. But, but please respond with whatever the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. I want us to see the worthlessness of this world and the matchless worth of Jesus. Father, thank you for this morning. Please don't let us be foolish and justify or defend our sinful idolatry. And God, help us to understand it's not just not just idolatry that I don't know, when we think of the Old Testament bowing down to things, whatever, but whatever it is that's fighting for control or rule of our hearts, God, help us to identify that. Help us to see the, the worthlessness of this world or anything that would contend f- with you. Jesus, be, be everything. Give us the ability to respond to you today. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, let's stand and let's sing together. And let's respond.